Hey everyone, highly enthused, most enthusiastic supporter, drnks.com is throwing a party soon and we think you should be there. Dane Johns, one of our absolute favourite Australian natural winemakers, under his label Memento Mori, regular listeners will remember Fistful of Flowers that we mentioned last week, is swinging by the George Hotel in Waterloo, Sydney, on Sunday, October 27th for a pig on a spit party. Pig on a spit party! He will pour old and new releases, there'll be succulent pork taco plates from Taco King, beer specials and DJs in the sun-drenched beer garden. Get yourself there from 2pm until sold out on Sunday, October 27th. There are no tickets. You just have to rock up and we will see you there. Many thanks for supporting this podcast. Drinks, head to drnchaos.com and enter the code HIGHLYENTHUSED at checkout for 10% off your order of delicious natural wine. Please enjoy responsibly. Highly Enthused, a shortcut to things worth consuming, presented by two women named Sophie who spend too long on the internet. I'm Sophie Roberts. And I'm Sophie McComas. Hey Soph. Hi. How are ya? I'm not too bad. That was a long pause. Sorry, I'm good. (laughs) Are you enthused about our snack size episode topic today? Yeah, pretty enthused. An average to high amount of enthusiasm, I would say. (laughs) I mean, we're always fairly enthusiastic. (laughs) Average enthusiasm is still very high. So what are we talking about this week? We are talking cookbooks. The best kind of book. Yeah, well, yeah, I I struggled a bit with this one, to be honest, because I was like, yes, let's do a cookbook episode. I can't wait. I have a billion of them, blah, blah, blah. And then I looked at them all and I was like, I can't choose for one. (laughs) And B, I read so many recipes on the internet now that I feel like I haven't given them as much love lately as I should be. Well, I do remember an episode a while ago where you said you had a really lovely Sunday where you sat down with your cookbooks and read them. And I you need really to do that again. It. Yeah. I use my cookbooks as reference books. Mm. Often if I'm like about to do a grocery shop on a Sunday and I'm trying to think about what I want to eat that week, it's like, okay, I'm going to look through and see what kind of things inspire me. And I might not make things exactly as they are in the, the cookbook, but they're just really good to have. The reason you end up doing it on the internet is because you're at work and you're like, shit, what am I having for dinner tonight? Yeah. What, if I, what ingredients have I got? Okay, I can't remember if, what I need for that recipe that's in a cookbook I'll find something online yeah I feel like if I just planned ahead a little bit more (laughs) then I would use them a bit more yeah well when you're not jet setting around (laughs) Southeast Asia maybe you'll have some more time (laughs) I do really love them though and they're so I would never want to give them up and I think you know there are new cookbooks out all the time especially this time of year it's like cookbook mania it really is pre-Christmas countdown yeah which is super exciting but I still come back to ones that I have had for a few years which which I like because they're like old friends yeah and I think there's just something about them where you kind of know what's going to be in there you're like oh I need this kind of recipe I'm going to this cookbook because I know there'll be something in there that's going to fit the bill Mm. it's really and it's more satisfying than just googling like tomatoes white beans parsley and seeing what comes up Mm. we used to have this awesome club let's call it a club when I used to work at gourmet where we would choose a new cookbook every month or two months or something Mm. and everyone would cook a dish from that cookbook and we'd have a party that was really fun. Maybe you should bring that back. Yeah, I'm actually... your spare time. Yeah, super keen to <laughs> dedicate the 10 minutes I have to doing that. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a great opportunity to just cook a range of things from the one cookbook or taste a range of things that, you know, it'll take you ages to kind of work through six recipes. But mm. if it's all on the table at once, it was fun. 
I think what I like about older cookbooks that you've had for a while is like the first time you go through, you're like seduced by all the pictures and you pick the thing that kind of looks the most impressive. And then when you read it a few more times and you actually take the time to read the recipe, suddenly something that's sort of unassuming, maybe it's only when you actually read the head notes and the description and what's in there that you're like, oh, that sounds amazing, but it doesn't have a fancy picture. So you've kind of skimmed it mm. for most of the time you've owned the cookbook. That's when your relationship with the cookbook really develops, I feel. <laughs> you get past those first few dates, you really get into the like substance of a cookbook. I think I'm drawn to really conversational cookbooks as well, like ones that aren't, I guess they're kind of like novel-esque in their, in their structure and tone rather than just like, boom, pretty picture recipe. Like I like a narrative. Yeah. It's funny because when I read a food blog, I often hate the narrative and I just want to get to the recipe. (laughs) But when it comes to an actual cookbook, I'm like, tell me a story. Why should I care? I used to use this app actually, which I just checked is still in operation. I haven't used it in a while, but it's actually a good idea to get back into it it's called eat your books oh yeah i have this it's so good so it's essentially an index of all the recipes in every cookbook like you input all the books that you have it logs all the indexes of them and the ingredients list from each recipe so if you have like a head of cauliflower you can just pop that into your like search engine on eat your books and it'll tell you all the cookbooks that you have that have cool cauliflower recipes and all the ingredients in those recipes. Mm. So that yeah. has definitely saved me a number of times when I'm like, God damn it, I want to cook something from that cookbook, but I can't remember if I have all the ingredients or what ingredients it needs. And then you can write your shopping list on the way home. Yeah, it's like a search engine for the books you already have. So yeah, check that out, eatyourbooks.com. Should we get started? Yes. So what's the format? Five cookbooks that we have just loved and yeah. go back to and I think reference a lot. Mm-hmm. I know you use cookbooks, yeah, like as references, not always specifically like to the tea of the recipe, yeah, which I really like. You want to go first? I'm going to go first. So my first cookbook is one I actually literally just recently talked about her most recent cookbook. This is Mira Soda, but I want to talk about her second book, and it was her first entirely vegetarian cookbook, and that is Fresh India. So as I said, I've raved about her before, but this I think is the one, the cookbook of hers that made me really fall in love with her recipes. They're just like her spicing is so perfect. And they're just, they just work. They're just recipes that always work. So I have two recipes from this that I really, really rate. They're ones I've done so many times. The first one is a Sri Lankan dal with coconut and lime melon. So this is, the dal itself is pretty classic. It's quite creamy and soothing. It's not too spiced. It's quite mild. Um, And it's made from red lentils and coconut milk. You know, the classic onions, chili, ginger, garlic. But then, so you actually cook up what's called a malam. So a malam is shredded greens. In this case, it's kale. So you chop them up really fine and you cook it with some of the garlic and onion and chili mixture and then also shredded coconut. And then you top it with a really healthy squeeze of fresh lime. And so then you serve every bowl of the dal. It's just like a bowl of dal. And then you top it with this delicious malam so you get the like creamy soothing mild dal and then this spiky kale coconutty lime topping it's just so delicious that sounds awesome a really good lunch because the dal just gets more tasty as time goes on and then you can add that malam on top at lunch and it just sort of takes it to another level Mm. so that is the Sri Lankan dal with coconut and lime malam and then the second recipe from her book that I really rate This is obviously probably ignorance on my behalf, but I don't always think of salads when I think of Indian cuisine. Um, But this cookbook has some really amazing salads in it. And the one that I'm really obsessed with, but it's kind of dangerous because if you make the first part, you sometimes don't get to the second part. It's a fennel and apple chart with caramelized almonds. (laughs) So the first thing you do is you make these 
caramelized flaked almonds with crushed fennel seeds, ginger, honey, and salt. Oh, the fennel seeds would be so good in that. Make more than she tells you to. Yeah. Like maybe make double the batch because you will snack on half of them. I've definitely had it on like these caramelized almonds with like some cheddar. Just like, oh, nibble down it. Very decadent. It was sort of like one of those things where I was like, oh, I don't have enough for the salad now. Um, but then the salad itself is this really fresh mix of apples, fennel, cucumber, and mint. And then you top it with the caramelized um, almonds and it's just like crunchy and fresh. And it, it makes sense. You're like, oh, when you're having these like rich, creamy or heavy curries or things like that, you want something fresh on the side. So this sort of dish just goes so well with it. But you don't even need to make it with curry. You could do this with like spiced chicken that you do in the oven yeah. or anything like lamb chops. Yeah, on the grilled stove. meat would be yeah. really good with that fresh salad. So that's Fresh India by Mira Soda. I feel like she really demystified Indian cooking for me or she made me start feeling way more confident around the flavoring in the way that I am like I can you know I can make a normal soup at home without needing to look up a recipe I know how to start it all off and she sort of her cookbooks made me start feeling that level of not quite that level of confidence but feeling so much more comfortable and confident about combining flavors and like I can make a dal almost without needing to look at a recipe now because her recipes are so easy to follow and you can see how they are built and why they work so I really recommend that one biggest fan Mira Soda right me. here one fan girl <laughs> Come on, the podcast. <laughs> well, my first book is a kind of a Sydney classic, I guess, or I think it should be the Salads and Pickles book by Corner Smith, which is, if you're not aware, we don't live in Sydney. It's a cooking school and a couple, a pair of twin cafes in Marrickville and Annandale. And they really pioneered the, I guess, anti-waste movement in cafes and also the community aspect of bartering and trading. So Mm -hmm. customers bring in a box of extra kumquats that they had and you'll get pickles in return, which I think is, is so cool and was actually really revolutionary in its time a few years ago when it opened. But Salads and Pickles is the second book by Cornersmith's founder, Alex Elliott Howery and Sabine Spindler, who used to be the Cornersmith head chef. Yeah. I don't think she's anymore, but, um, by the looks of it, she's having a great time in Europe. <laughs> uh, but I really love this cookbook because uh, I do a lot of pickling at home. Our bookshelves are almost more pickle than book at this stage. Um, and once I, I got my head around the concept of the, of the ratios and the balance of pickling, I realized that I can pickle anything I want, um, which is really exciting because anytime you have anything left over, Um, You can just chuck it in a jar. So one of the first thing I made from this cookbook was the pickled green tomatoes, which are coming into season now, actually, like super early summer and also at the real tail end of summer. They're really great. And it's they're not a different type of tomato. It's just literally an unripe tomato, super crisp, really tart. And once they're pickled, there's a little bit of turmeric in there, a little bit of cinnamon Mm. um, and garlic, which is delicious. I put a bit of uh, sliced fennel with them. Once they're pickled, they are just so delicious. Um, They take on this like tangy kind of sweetness from the vinegar and just chopped in salads, like scattered throughout salads, soba noodles, or even just like alongside, yeah, roast chicken or anything like that. A few potatoes. They were so good. I like got completely addicted to them and it launched me into the rest of this book. 
one of the next things in this book, alongside the pickles, is all the vinaigrettes and dressings. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Because I, I always forget those ratios. I just always forget how much you're supposed to do. Yeah. Well, they have this whole section on actually using a lot of your leftover scraps and things, like leftover chilies and garlic and herbs to fl- and citruses to flavor vinegars. Oh, wow. Once you have a bunch of those, like you can make the most interesting layered vinaigrettes. There is this walnut and orange vinaigrette that is so delicious. Like using nuts in vinaigrettes is actually a game changer. Yeah, because it gives it that little bit of bulk and, and texture, which is quite interesting. There's a brown butter vinaigrette. Oh, for this. Sorry, that was a really weird noise, <laughs> but I genuinely You're reverberating really want that desire over there. Yes. Yeah, it goes on this potato salad with peas and mint, which is like spring on a plate. Um, I just like that concept of burnt butter in like a dressing. Always Yum. good. One of my favorite recipes, I've, I've mentioned it before on the podcast, is this ginger and miso braised eggplant with kind of scoops of soft silken tofu. I remember you talking about yes, that. Yes, yeah. toasted spring onion and sesame. But everything in here is just so crisp and fresh and delicious. There's sort of like big chunks of iceberg with crusts and aioli, like herby crusts on them, which Love I thought an iceberg. was so tasty. Bring back iceberg lettuce, I say. Oh, my old housemate and good friend Jen used to eat iceberg like all the time, <laughs> just with vinaigrette on it. And she would just have these cravings for iceberg, which I kind of like adopted. So crunchy So and delicious. Fresh. Yeah. And really just a great vehicle for vinaigrette. Yeah. So good. And so, yeah. If you're into your vegetables, you want to start, you know, downing your waste in the kitchen and and thinking of some inventive ideas for dressings (laughs) and otherwise. Who doesn't, really? Yeah. Pit Salads and Pickles by Cornersmith is published by Murdoch. A couple of years old now, 2017, but absolutely relevant to me. What about you? What's next? So my second all-time standby cookbook is the River Cafe Classic Italian Cookbook. I feel like this is a little bit... Most of these cookbooks we've mentioned at least once at some point in the podcast. Okay, this is deep diving. This is a deep dive. So this one for me is just such a glorious standby. So if you listen to our pasta episode, this is where the Pudinesca recipe that I talked about is from. Um, And I always turn for... If I want a classic pasta recipe, if I haven't gotten you to teach me how to make a carbonara, like I will go to one of the River Cafe books. And this one in particular has so many of the classics. But one thing I really love about it is all of the different vegetable preparations that they've got Mm. in there. It's funny because I feel like when you go to Italy on holidays, unless you go out of the big cities, you tend to sort of end up eating like a lot of pasta, maybe some seafood. You don't really focus on the vegetables necessarily, which is so weird because you go to the markets and you've never seen more beautiful vegetables in your entire life. And you're like, where do they go? (laughs) Where are they? Like, I don't find them in the restaurants. And it's because everyone cooks them at home. So... I'm going to talk through one of their vegetable recipes that I've made to, it's so simple, but have made to much applause, but like their caponata recipe is amazing. They have this stewed peppers recipe. That's incredible. Even just like green beans with parsley and vinegar. Like they're all just so simple, but just really about taking that, taking produce at the peak of its, you know, deliciousness and, and doing really simple things to it just to take it to that next level. So the first recipe I love is zucchini scarpeci for any Italians listening. I probably just butchered that. I apologize. It's basically fried zucchini so it is very simple but they do have a lot of techniques that they sort of talk you through like you think fried zucchini you slice it up you fry it how hard can that be but they like walk you through what you need to do to make the perfect fried zucchini so you're supposed to slice it diagonally in 25 millimeter slices um, then lay it on a paper towel for 30 minutes to pat the moisture off it includes the line the drier the zucchini the browner and more beautifully glistening they become when fried like you can just hear that voice in the kitchen being like no wait 30 minutes (laughs) 
And then you just fry off some sliced garlic in the oil and then take it out once the oil is infused and then fry the zucchini in a single layer in batches until it gets really golden brown. Take it out. And then once it's been drained on kitchen towel, you then put it in a serving platter, top it with fresh chopped garlic, chili, like chili flakes, salt, pepper, and then you scatter it with sliced mint and sprinkle it with red wine vinegar. And then you serve it straight away. So you get this kind of crispy fried and then slightly soft yeah. stuff in the vinegar. And it's just so simple and delicious. Again, have it as a side to something. I've eaten it by itself. Like, you know, I just sit there and eat the whole thing. Just delicious. And then the other recipe from there that has been a winner, and I was when we were looking through the cookbooks today to figure out what we wanted to talk about, I assumed I'd talk about a pasta, but then I saw this one. I was like, oh my God, that is such a good recipe. So it's the lenticci con vino rosso or rich lentils with red wine. And so this is like, they say you use Castelluccio lentils. I've used poi or beluga, like whatever sort of more hardy or stronger lentil that you have. Anything that's got a kind of al dente chew when you've cooked it. And then you cook it almost like a risotto. Mm. So you make a sofrito with carrot, celery, and onions. And then when that's cooked down, you add in garlic, rosemary, and sage, and pancetta. And cook that for about 10 minutes till everything's softened. You don't want the pancetta to get crispy. Then you throw in the lentils and add, it's like half a bottle of Chianti, ladle by ladle till it's all cooked down, just like you would with a risotto, like stirring it to like let it to sort of simmer and, and, and get rid of the alcohol. And then you pour in the chicken stock and simmer it for 30, 40 minutes until the lentils are done. They recommend serving this with grouse or other game. Grouse? Yeah. Your local grouse. Just, just find your local grouse supplier. <laughs> I would probably do this with like an Italian sausage, mm. fry off some like really thick rustic pork sausages. Or even I've done garlicky toast with ricotta and just had that on the side if I wanted something to kind of bulk it up. But I mean, I personally am someone who can just eat lentils and call it a day. Just really beautiful. I feel like that would be really good after a day of just sitting as well. Mm. Like it, its flavors would become more complex yeah, definitely. Time. I'll be honest, it's never lasted that long in my kitchen. We eat it <laughs> before and it is quite nice just straight from the pan, like warm with the sausages on top. Mm. Um, but I really rate that one. So that is the River Cafe Classic Italian Cookbook. They have so many cookbooks. Pretty much get any of them, they'll serve you well. But this one's really good if you want like a good classic like Italian recipe book that you can just turn to whenever you're like, how do you make a carbonara? Or what is the right way to do a puddinesca? Like they have the answers every time. Love it. We got to get ourselves to the roof cafe. I know. Someone invite us. We'll come over. We'll eat there. We will be there as soon as you give the word. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. What is your number two? Okay. It is something that was published in 2005, which, oh my God, was the year we finished school. Yeah. (laughs) And that feels like a very long time ago. Next year, it's 15 years ago. Oh, wow. 15 Um, years. It's Nigel Slater's The Kitchen Diaries. Oh, the best cookbook. I know. We both really love Nigel Slater. And there's a reason for that. He's just so lovable. He really is. Yes. He doesn't try to be cool. He just tries to put up delicious things. Uh, He's very sincere and I think a very enthusiastic man, which is probably why we like him so much. Yeah, he's enthusiastic about things like good yogurt and cheese and good bread and sardines <gasps> mackerel oh, mackerel is so obsessed with mackerel it's all mine um so the kitchen diaries is essentially a year in his absolutely prolific and beautifully tended to garden in london which you should check out his instagram and spy on because it makes me really jealous he's got like roses and a fig tree and just all the herbs and such good stuff somehow managing to live this like bucolic pastoral existence in the middle of london yeah how who knows (laughs) so good so it's it really is a diary of seasonal eating that begins or opens on New Year's Day. And he talks about that crisp, cold London New Year's Day, going to the shops and buying, you know, like a wedge of beautiful cheese and dried figs and like 
expensive butter beans and blood oranges and just that shopping list like ah I want it I love that and he takes you on this journey where he talks you through what he's buying and what he's pottering around with it in his kitchen and they're almost like these little micro recipes it's literally like reading his diary yeah and then there's like a full actual written out recipe in most instances down the bottom so it's pretty much like triple the recipes that are in the index if you actually read through. He's like, I fried some mackerel and tossed some potatoes in a little bit of stock and butter and this is it. But then he has a recipe for something a bit more complex down the bottom. I think my favourite entries are the ones where he's like, maybe I'll have this. And then he gets home and he's like, oh, the thing I thought was fresh was looking worse for wear. So instead I prepared it this way and added the letter. And he's just like, he talks you through that real life process of when you're like, I haven't quite remembered correctly what was in my fridge, so I guess I just have to improvise based on what's actually there. Yeah, I can't imagine him ever having, like, a very moldy zucchini at the bottom of the fridge. Like, it's always been made just at the right, like, moment into a beautiful fritter or cake or something, like, very (laughs) practical and delicious, just, like, just because I could never let it go to waste. I think what I like the most about Nigel Slater is actually the opposite of what I've loved in a lot of cookbooks. A lot of cookbooks give me a sense of abundance and diversity. You know, Ottolenghi you buy because the ingredient list is ridiculous and it's, like, insane and lush and decadent. But Nigel Slater has this, like, very pleasing frugality to him. Mm. He's not buying a billion things. He's buying just enough for what he needs for Mm. now or for the next few days. And it's, like, just so simple and pleasing. It's very good quality things. You know, he's buying the most beautiful bottled butter beans that you can get, but... You know, a dish of beans warmed through with a small hunk of pancetta and garlic is not the most decadent, rich, over-the-top meal. Yeah. It's just that simplicity and frugalness is so soothing. Yeah, that's so true. I absolutely so agree with that. I feel like he's, like, partnered with me in the love of deli. Like, the the deli love. (laughs) He loves deli. Sliced, like, leg ham and the cheese and the sourdough and, like, the fancy flowers. Yeah. If you've ever want to know what to do with a ham hock, Nigel Slater is the man who will talk you through what to do with a ham hock, you know? (laughs) So true. So a couple of recipes that I've pulled out that I've made. First one is this double ginger cake, which really holds this, like, deep memory for me from my lol like food blog days <laughs> we all had them. the good old days and it's this this dark sticky molassesy cake with ground ginger and this stem ginger in syrup and i just chuck a few like knobs of crystallized ginger in there which kind of melt in the oven really dark muscovado sugar and he actually says if you can resist which like as if, but maybe you could have a slice and wrap the rest in alfoil and leave it for a couple of days. I think only Nigel Slater can I know. <laughs> An old man living at home like can be like, I'll just have this tiny bit and leave it. But it it really intensifies in flavour the more it sits. And because you wrap it in the alfoil, it almost like steams a little bit more Ooh. and gets extra sticky and like it is insanely good. Really simple. It's not iced with, any, with anything fancy. It's just like a slab cake with this dark sticky goodness and other things like really simple just salmon and dill fish cakes just the perfect chicken thigh golden and well seasoned and like smothered in this crazy compound herb butter simple things like that that every time you just really can't think of anything and you don't want to go overboard with buying yeah like a bunch of ingredients he always has an idea for something really simple and hard hearty and warming and i just love the way he writes i know i literally read the kitchen diaries the first time like a novel yeah i sat in bed and i read it cover to cover (laughs) it's 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 an awesome book so 
One more. One more. What are you taking us out on? Uh, I am taking us out with our girl, Alison Roman, and her first cookbook, Dining In. So <laughs> this is another regular inclusion on this podcast. We are pretty much Alison Roman's biggest fangirls. <laughs> and I've already raved about like the not-sweet granola from this particular book, mm-hmm. like in one of the first episodes we made. And this is the recipe book that the cookies became famous for. She makes these salted shortbread cookies. With... You made those? No, I haven't. I'm not really a baker, and mm. I don't have a stand mixer, which she says is critical and I have a tiny kitchen with no room for a stand mixer. But if anyone would like to make them for me and deliver them to me, happy to eat them. But there's two recipes that are in this book that I've kind of cooked the most. To be honest, there's also some amazing pasta recipes in there, but we did a whole episode on pasta, so I've decided not to focus on those this time. The first one is one of those recipes, doesn't have a photo, definitely skimmed over it the first time I read it, but then... Like I've said a bazillion times, trying to eat less meat. And this was one that popped up and I was like, oh, that sounds really interesting. So it's olive oil fried lentils with cherry tomatoes and a chili fried egg. You are a lentil fiend. I fucking love lentils. They're fucking delicious. They're so good. Oh my God. Look. This we is... got dal, we got lentil stew, and now we got I olive eat... oil fried lentils. I eat a lot of lentils. You're the 70s dad. I'm the 70s mom. So... <laughs> Thanks for the diversion. <laughs> so basically you cook beluga or poi lentils and then you do quick pickled red onion. So slice up red onion, quick pickle it with fish sauce and lime juice. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So it's got like a kind of more pungent, fish sauce. Yeah. Just like a dash. That's cool. Um, a little bit of salt in there if you want to like speed up the pickling process. And then you cook down garlics and shallots in oil till they're softened. Add cherry tomatoes and get them to kind of burst and go jammy and soft. And then you throw the cooked lentils in, mix it all through and cook till they sort of start add a little bit more olive oil get them a little bit crispy and then you put them into the serving bowl if you're going to have an egg you fry the egg top the lentils with it and then you scatter the whole thing with crushed peanuts coriander chili flakes the pickled onions and a big squeeze of lime this is really interesting this is like thai lentils mm. i've never seen that before. it's so yummy well because lentils are just a canvas for whatever flavors <laughs> you want to put on them <laughs> as we them. have explained <laughs> there are three different ways <sighs> guys lentils just really they're the answer to everything. They're going to solve climate change. And then my other favorite legume, it's a shout out <laughs> in this second recipe. I will say I, there was this week when I was like so exhausted and tired and someone at my work was like, have you had your iron levels checked? Cause you've pretty much just stopped eating meat and you haven't really been actively trying to increase your iron. And I was like, Oh, you make a good point. So this recipe pretty much combined as many different types of iron as you could probably cram into your body. So it's crispy chickpeas and lamb with greens and garlicky yogurt. So you cook up minced lamb with garlic and cumin until it's crispy. Take it out of the pan, but leave the oil there. Fry off the chickpeas in the oil till they get really crispy. And then you put them in with the lamb in a bowl and then you leave as much fat behind. You might need to add a bit more olive oil. And then you just throw torn up shard or spinach or kale whatever you want and oh my god this rainbow shard yeah just toss it till they kind of wilt a little bit take them out and then you make a just a garlicky yogurt really simple garlicky lemony yogurt smear that on the bottom of the bowl top it with the chickpeas and the um, lamb and the greens and then she says to serve it with some fresh tomato which i didn't have any because it wasn't in season but you just top it with a big squeeze of lemon it's delicious. That sounds really good. It I have some of these ingredients good. in my fridge. Make it tonight. I'm going to make Although that. Although you're going out for dinner. Tomorrow night. Tomorrow night. 
I actually go to. Yeah, it's really yummy. So that's two recipes from the book. They're not the like sexy ones that you see on all of the posts about dining in, but I I think they just reflect the way her recipes are actually really good for one as well. Like, you know how sometimes recipes that are for six, you just can't downsize yeah. them? These are all, you really can just make a small batch of something. So that's it. That's five of our favorite cookbooks. We hope you enjoy cookbooks as much as we do. Because otherwise this is a boring episode for you. <laughs> Please let us know what your favorites are on Instagram at highly enthused. Email us, highlyenthused at gmail.com and sign up to our newsletter because we're going to have some other favorites in there on oh, Friday. That's highlyenthused.substack.com. I guess that's it. we're off to eat some more lentils. <laughs> Look. Stop it. They're delicious. <laughs> you like lentils too. I just didn't realize I'd done three lentil recipes. <laughs> Thanks very much to our sponsored drinks. Check out their website, drnks.com, and don't forget the code, highly enthused, for 10% off. See you next week. See ya. Bye.